I hang my hat and there's no blood. By Robert Essig I walk inside my condo, hang my hat on the coat rack, and there's no blood. The condos behind the Cosmopolitan on the Las Vegas Strip. Sounds glamorous, right? <laughs> Hell no. It was nice when I bought the place, back when my show was a hit, and I was pulling in greenbacks like Liberace performing at a pride parade. But those days are long over, not only for the Cosmo, but for me too. You know, I once had girls waiting for me in my dressing room after a show. You wouldn't believe it. Not a guy like me. I'm fat. I can admit it. I'm a freaking comedian. You kidding me? Half my shtick is fat jokes. That's how I got my break. Anyway, yeah, I live in that condo behind what once was one of the most glamorous casinos on the Strip. I once was the comedy hitman of MGM, right up there with the biggies. After hanging my hat, I slink into my well-worn sofa, pick up the remote, and feed my brain with monotonous garbage television. Anything. Reality shows, 24-hour news programs, reruns of comedies that are only funny because my life has become one big joke. I don't drown myself in booze. Not tonight. And I'll never forgive myself for that. Maybe things would have been different. Probably not, though. Fate being what it is. I wake up the following day, sweating from the heat created by sleeping in the crook of an old couch. I have a bed, but I don't seem to make it into the bedroom before the hypnotic drone of late-night television pulls me under. I smell like two-day sweat, like someone deep into a bad flu. But deodorant is to little avail, considering how friggin' hot Vegas is in August. 1.15 yesterday. 1.18 today. I try to convince myself that I'm thankful for the gig I have at the Burt Challenger Theater, a crappy little joint hidden down an alleyway next to a 24-hour Indian buffet and a sleazy tourist trap strip mall that doesn't scoff at selling cell phone chargers for 20 bucks a pop. But don't worry, you can get a tall boy for a buck. I loathe the place, and the help feels about the same toward me. Locals know me by name recognition, but tourists don't remember anyone who's been here as long as I have, except for Penn and Teller and Carrot Top. P&T have been regulars at the Rio for years. Their mugs, larger than life, can be seen from the I-15. I've completely lost track of old carrot juice. Maybe someone finally ran his ass out of town. In front of the MGM Grand, there's this giant screen that can be seen a mile down the strip in either direction. Ten years ago, I ruled that screen. My show was one of the most popular comedy shows on the Strip. I was told I'd done so well for MGM in such a short time that I was basically a living Vegas legend. I saw a street named after me, like the guys in the Rat Pack. I saw the theater I performed in being named after me. But more importantly, I saw money. Enough of this stuff to not have to worry about a thing until the day I croaked. I've learned that people say a lot of things. People use words like tiny weapons in some sick mental cold war. String them together one way, and you melt someone's heart. You feed an ego, 
take those same words, twist them a bit, and they turn into daggers. There's a lot on my mind. Too much to focus. I don't do much to prepare myself for the show. Not here at the condo. The walk to the Burt Challenger Theater reduces me to a pile of sweaty biscuit dough. I hate the walk. Every damn day. So much on my mind. Like the woman in the audience last night. I haven't seen her before. She... Well, it's not like I have fans anymore. Even the most loyal ones from the good old days have long forgotten me. It isn't that I don't get a decent crowd. I do. It's just the people are getting their tickets for free from associated casinos or buying them at a crazy reduction on various third-party websites. I know this. And I know the theater's hoping they stop by the little souvenir display and buy a shirt with my name and a pathetically generic public domain image of a deck of cards. I don't even understand it. My show has nothing to do with cards. I hit the muggy streets a good two and a half hours before my show starts. My nostrils are assaulted by the smells of garbage, car exhaust, cigars, and the unmistakable rank of a sewer system that's either overcapacitated or overheated from a string of 45 straight days of 100-plus degree weather. That's the worst of it. The smell. You don't ever get used to it, and sometimes it creeps into the hallways of the condo. As you walk the perpetually busy streets, you can feel the smells as they hit you in tiny bursts like invisible, raunchy beings there to set your ass straight. Kids ask if I want to buy coke, weed, pills, and I ignore them today and every day as I walk across Las Vegas Boulevard on a bridge above the constant three-and-a-half-mile-per-hour traffic below. On the other side of the bridge, the streets are always thick with a mix of lemming tourists and street performers in varied degrees of despair. The young girls wear pasties and a G-string, dancing to the latest misogynist hip-hop tunes, accepting donations for a photograph. The newer magicians have more elaborate setups, still filled with some kind of hope that won't last. The ones who've been there longer than maybe six months look like sad clowns without makeup practically begging for someone to pick a card, any card. And then there are the homeless, hairy, dirty, and skeletal. They look like middle-aged Americans in the final dregs of the worst camps of 1940s Germany. Those guys used to be magicians, singers, jugglers, dreamers. I'd love to say you get used to seeing the street performers, but you just don't. They're everywhere these days, on every corner, vying for every one of your dollar bills, and so few of them are worth a penny. Believe it or not, I got my break as a street comic. Back in those days, street performers were the exception to the rule. You pretty much had to have it authorized by the casino if you were taking up real estate, and that meant I had to have a meeting with some manager or whatnot, and I had to convince them that having me outside would encourage people to enter their establishment. 
That actually turned out to be my inn with the once great imperial palace, which is now imploded. The place was nicknamed the Venereal Palace due to the amount of college kids who stayed there because of the cheap rooms. I chose to gig outside there since it was close to Caesars, the Flamingo and Bellagio, amongst other well-renowned outfits. Any further west, and I might as well make balloon animals in front of Circus Circus. The crowds I wrangled were so massive that the Imperial Palace figured they'd better give me a slot in their theater to bring those folks inside to gamble, and that's how I got my first gig. My shtick has always been a little politics, a little current events, and a lot of self-deprecation. People love that crap. They just love to laugh at someone who has it worse than they do, even though I was eventually doing better than 99% of my average audience. Christ, that was a long time ago. The Burt Challenger Theater isn't much to behold, and you could walk by the alley five times looking for the place. I slip in the front door and show myself to the backstage area, pretending that Denise and Sal didn't give me a double dose of the evil eye like the future of their livelihood depended on my next performance. Uh, maybe it did. At least the place was air-conditioned. After cooling down and getting ready, I take the stage, curious to see how many people are in the audience. It's an intimate stage with a cluster of cocktail tables in the center of the floor, booths lining the sides, and rows of seating in the back. I'm only surprised by the turnout because that's what I'm supposed to feel. There are at least double the amount of people as usual, but the same as yesterday. My stage setup is rather simple. I have a stool in case I need to take a breather or my legs get to me. On the stool is a highball glass of apple juice. People like to believe I'm an alky who feels the necessity to drink up while on stage. Nope. I just need something to wet my whistle every so many jokes. Next to the stool is a bag of props. Don't judge. Prop comedy pretty much died in the early 90s, but I like to mix it into my show. Old Carrot Cake made a great career for himself with rubber chickens and the like, so why not? I start out with a greeting. They clap and genuinely look happy to be there, which is always a plus. I sling a few quick fat jokes. Kids like to get their wings when they fly in an airplane. I got my wings too, at KFC. I have frequent flyer miles at McDonald's. It gets even worse from there, and the smiles start to fade. Self-loathing seeps in as it does every night when I'm bombing. The tried and true jokes lift them up a bit, but it's to little avail. I just don't have the ability to hold an audience anymore. My knack for writing great material seems to have evaporated in the Vegas heat. Maybe it's that I just don't relate to people any longer. Too much time on this hellish strip of casinos and hotels, having turned my mind to garbage. As I stand there, slinging jokes, killing some and bombing others, there's this niggling voice in the back of my head. It's the voice of my boss, Bert Challenger himself, an old magician who opened the theater in his retirement, the lucky bastard. You see, last week, he pulled the plug on my show. On top of that, tonight 
is my last performance. You're all washed up. <laughs> he actually said that to me, like we time-traveled back to black and white era films. He's right, and on such short notice I haven't been able to secure another gig, not even down on Fremont or one of the many casinos sprinkling the outskirts of downtown. A man can only handle so much rejection before he gives up, and I'm not going back to performing on the streets. I'm too old for that crap. It would kill me before I had a chance to devolve to the state of your common bum. Halfway through the show, I start pulling props from my bag. Stupid gags that make the right person laugh. The kind of person who likes slapstick. There are a few in the audience, but not enough to create an infectious response. The power of laughter is amazing, really. I've watched people hate the show, just sitting there with their arms crossed over their chest and staring at me like they're daring me to say something funny. Now that crap used to get the best of me. I knew if I could get the people around that dead fish to laugh uproariously, the laughter would become infectious, and soon enough old dead fish would be flopping around, inadvertently having a great time. Laughter is a great power, but other things are powerful as well. I pull a shotgun from my prop bag. The audience is quiet, but unflinching. They don't seem to realize the danger they're in, which is good. Fear is as contagious as laughter, if not more so, and it would only take one screamer to tear this place down. Of course, I keep on joking, pulling from social commentary about gun rights. There have been so many mass shootings that I can joke about it now, particularly since there wasn't one this week, yet. I do jokes about what we'll use old shotguns for after the Democrats take our guns away, appeasing to the conservative half of the audience, and then I make fun of rednecks shooting off their own toes trying to deal with nasty corns, appeasing the lefties. And then I go into a story joke, really captivating the entire audience. The story's about an old porn star in some retirement home. She mistakes a shotgun for her favorite toy. I know, I know. Sounds stupid, but you had to be there. You'd have been laughing like everyone else. When I'm hot, I can make you laugh at cancer. I make a show of lying down on my back at the edge of the stage, shotgun in hand and resting on my chest. I tilted my head over the lip of the stage and looked at the audience from a nauseating upside-down vantage, acting like a semi-blind old porn star, which was kind of like a pantomime of Jenna Jameson's reanimated career. And then she puts the toy in her mouth like this. I raise my head so that the audience is getting a solid view of the back of my sweaty, balding dome. I place the barrel of the shotgun in my mouth and make obnoxious sounds, gyrating the gun like I get a kick out of sucking on cobalt steel. Then I pull the trigger. The back of my head explodes, like the aftermath of putting an M80 in a watermelon. I actually hear their cries of shock in that last moment before I die. It's horrifying. I hear it over and over, ringing through my consciousness like alarm bells, and I know what I've done. They weren't prepared for a splash zone. 
I lay there with my head hanging over the edge of the stage, leaking blood and brain pate onto the floor while screams dominate the theater and the smell of gunpowder rises to the rafters. The first time this happened, I think I must have laid there for a half an hour before I got my bearings. By lying there, I can listen to the things that happened in the past, but it's really not all that interesting. Why live in the past? That's a little inside joke I have with myself. I get up. My head feels as big as a hot air balloon, and yet there's this cool sensation from the air conditioning blowing on the gaping hole in the back of my cranium. Gives me a chill every time. After pushing the hangers of brain and flesh into the singed, bloody cavity, I find my hat and put it on in a feeble attempt to hide the shame. That's when I look out over the audience. The new girl is there, the one from yesterday. Looks like maybe she has rope burns on her neck. Sometimes I can't believe what I've wrought. The first time I replayed the final performance, two of the people in the front row showed up after I came too. The rest of the theater was empty, with the exception of my dried brains and darkened blood. The two in the front row showed me their slit wrists, as they're doing right now. Is it blame in their eyes? Over the days, months, years, ugh, has it really been that long? More of the audience has shown up. Slit wrists, rope burns, gunshots to the head. Others looking so normal I have to wonder if their guts are full of half-digested pills. I got used to the ones who've been there night after night. The human spirit is amazing to behold, and very real. I behold it over and over again, and though I'm very used to things becoming mundane, things that no mortal would ever consider as such, there are times, like when someone from that night shows up in the post-brain damage audience, that I feel true horror, regret, a sense of conscience, that for all intents and purposes I should have completely separated myself from long ago. I'm not sure what they think of me. They stare and I feel blood run down my neck, sticking the undershirt to my back like some sleek new skin. My eyes keep going back to the new girl, the pleading look on her face, like I could take back time. And boy, if I could. She looks terrified just sitting there with the others, staring up at me like they have no choice, like I somehow damned them to this. Perhaps I did. I don't stand around looking into the piteous eyes of blame for too much longer. It's only because of the new girl that I stay as long as I do. Not that there's much for me on the inferno streets of Sin City. When I leave the theater, the heat is tenfold, though it's well after ten at night. As I walk by casinos, I feel gushes of sulfuric, smoky air as the doors open and close with wasted stiffs walking in and out, sometimes in perpetuity, as if they're forever forgetful of just where the hell they're going and what house they're giving their money to. It's sad, the looks of sheer listlessness in some of their eyes. What once were high-pitched, 
happy major notes screaming from so many slot machines are now out of tune, minor, and flat. It's like listening to sad music spun backwards on a record player. The masses on the streets are no less prevalent on my return journey. In fact, there's no traffic to speak of, just a river of souls shifting through the now-molten Las Vegas Boulevard, heads aflame, eyes black and dead like that of minnows. I cross over the dead souls on a bridge, leading me to the Cosmopolitan, but forego walking through the casino as I did on my way to the theater. I can do without the searing heat and the psycho jangle of the slaughter machines. I walk around the building, passing others like myself, of whom I see in the same place every night of my... whatever this is. Every night of my death. My stubborn, perpetual death. I glance at a light pole, topped with what earlier had been a closed-circuit police camera, which is now a bloody eye, staring as if any one of us would stray from our fate. The elevator ride is a jerky, terrifying affair. One of those things I can never seem to get used to no matter how many nights I do this. No matter how I try, I am unable to take the stairs. I open the door, walk into my condo, hang my hat on the coat rack, and there's no blood. Tomorrow, I will begin the last day of my life. Again. Again.